Section 13 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 13. Glimpses of the Insurrection. In the Marais. In the dampness and provincial gloom of these long, tortuous streets, through which are wafted odors of drugs and logwood, in the midst of these ancient hotels of the time of Henry II, of Louis XIII, which modern industry has caricatured by converting them into establishments for the manufacture of seltzer water, bronzes, and chemical products, these moldy gardens filled with packing cases, these courts of honor, over which heavy trucks are rumbling, these swelling balconies, tall windows, worm-eaten gables, as blackened with smoke as church extinguishers, in this quarter, the insurrection, especially during those first days, has a unique physiognomy all its own, an air of primitive simplicity. Rough attempts at barricading every street corner but not a soul to guard the barricade. No cannons, no mitrailleuses. Heaps of stones piled up without method or intelligence, simply for the delight of obstructing a passage, leaving big puddles of water for swarms of gamins to paddle in, sailing flotillas of paper boats. Every shop is open, and the shopkeepers are standing at their doors, laughing and discussing politics from one sidewalk to another. It is not such people as these who are raising riots, but it is plainly to be seen that they regard the work of the insurgents well-pleased, as though, in disturbing the stones of this peaceful neighborhood, the revolt had aroused the very soul of the ancient bourgeois of Paris in all its riotous levity. What might have been called, in other days, the spirit of the Fronde animates the Marais at this hour, Upon the frontons of these proud houses, grotesque faces of sculptured stone grimace joyously as if to say, We have seen all this before. And my fancy runs away with me, and in spite of myself, clothes in flowered coats, knee breeches, and big cocked hats, this little world of bustling druggists, gilders, and grocers, who, with the air of mere spectators, watch the tearing up of their streets, their sides shaking with laughter, and are proud to think they have a barricade close to their very shops. Now and then, at the end of a long dark alley, I can see bayonets gleaming upon the Place de Greve. I catch a glimpse of the ancient town hall gilded by the sun. In this blaze of light, horsemen are seen galloping by, in long gray cloaks, with floating plumes. A crowd follows them, shouting and waving their hats. Is it Mademoiselle Montpensier or General Cremet? Epics begin to grow confused in my brain. In the sunlight at a distance, a red-shirted Garibaldian orderly rushes by at full speed, and I can almost fancy that I see the red cloak of the Cardinal de Retz. I can scarcely tell whether that shrewdest of shrewd schemers, of whom all these groups of people are talking, is Monsieur Thiers or Mazarin. I seem to be in a past 
three hundred years removed from today. At Montmartre. As I was climbing the Rue Lepic the other morning, I saw in a cobbler's shop an officer of the National Guard, with sabre at his side and lace up to the elbow. He was tapping a pair of boots protected by his leather apron that he need not soil his coat. One glance at that shop window was enough to suggest the whole of insurgent Montmartre. Imagine an immense village, armed to the teeth, mitrailleuse in front of the watering trough, the church square bristling with bayonets, a barricade in front of the schoolhouse, milk cans and canister side by side. Every house is converted into a barrack. At every window, soldiers' gaiters are hanging to dry. Kepis lean forward, waiting to hear the call. In the little shops, where old clothes are sold, a vigorous pounding of gun-butts is heard, and from the foot of the hill to the top, a clatter of platters and sabres and canteens. Yet, in spite of all these things, Montmartre does not look as fierce as when it marched upon the Boulevard des Italiens, rifles shouldered and chin straps under the chins, marking time ferociously and seeming to say, Our best behavior now, the reaction is watching us. Here, the insurgents are at home, and in spite of cannon and barricades, there is little of a formal or formidable nature in this revolt. It seemed rather a family affair. A painful sight it was, however, to see the swarms of red trousers, deserters of all sorts, zouaves, lignards, mobiles, obstructing the square in front of the marais, lying about on the benches, sprawling along the sidewalks, drunken, filthy, tattered and unshaven for a week. As I was passing, one of these luckless rascals who had climbed up into a tree began to harangue the crowd. His tongue did not move very freely, and laughter and hootings greeted his efforts. In another part of the place, a battalion was in motion, on its way up to the ramparts. Forward! cried the officers, waving their swords. The drums beat the charge, and the worthy militiamen, with ardent zeal, rushed to the assault of a long, deserted street, at the end of which could be seen a few terrified, cackling hens, nothing more. At the top of the hill, a vista of green gardens and yellow roads, rising in their midst, La Galette Mill, transformed into a military post, with rows of tents, the smoke of tiny bivouac fires, and, outlined against this background, figures of the National Guard are seen. Every object as sharply defined as if sighted from the end of a spyglass, between the sky, black and full of rain, and the shining ochre of the hill. At the Faubourg Saint-Antoine A night in January, during the siege of Paris, I stood upon the Place de Nanterre, in the midst of a battalion of francs-tireurs, the enemy had just attacked our outposts, and men hastily arming to go to the relief of their comrades were forming, groping their way as best they could through the wind and snow. We saw a patrol emerge from a street corner, preceded by a lantern. Halt! 
Who goes there? Mobiles of 48, replied the tremulous voice of an old man. They were tiny fellows in short cloaks, kippies askew, and something almost infantile in their appearance. At a little distance they might have been mistaken for children of the regiment, but when the sergeant went closer to see who they were, the light of our lanterns revealed a tiny old man, wrinkled, faded, with blinking eyes and a snow-white chin-beard. This child of the regiment was at least a hundred years old. His companions were scarcely younger. And then that Parisian accent and swashbuckler air of these venerable old gamins. Arrived the day before at the outposts, the unhappy mobiles had lost their way on their first patrol. They were quickly dispatched upon their business. Make haste, comrades. The Prussians are attacking us. Ah, ah, the Prussians are attacking us, repeated the poor old creatures, quite dismayed, and turning upon their heels, they were soon lost in the night, their lantern dancing and flickering under the fusillade. I cannot tell you the fantastic impression these tiny gnomes produced upon me. They looked so aged, so bewildered, so weary. They seemed to have come from some great distance, and I could almost imagine this was a phantom patrol, wandering through the land since 1848, a patrol that had lost its way 23 years ago, and in search of it ever since. The insurgents of the Faubourg Saint-Antoine recalled this apparition to me. I found these ancients of 48 forever going astray, a little older now than they were then, but as incorrigible as ever, hoary-haired rioters playing at their old game of civil war with a classic barricade two or three stories high, a red flag floating from its summit, melodramatic attitudes at the cannon's breach, sleeves rolled up, gruff voices exclaiming, Keep on the move, citizens! And then their bayonets were pointed. All is bustle and commotion upon this great babel-like faubourg. From the Place du Tronc to the Bastille, surprises, scuffles, searches and arrests, open-air meetings, pilgrimages to the column, tipsy patrollers have forgotten the password. Chaspeaux go off of themselves. Ribalds are led to the Comité of the Rue Basfois. The drum beats to arms. The general and the tocsin are heard. Oh, that tocsin! With what delight these madmen set their bells a-ringing. As soon as twilight sets in, in every belfry a mad dance begins, incessant as the tinkling of a jester's bells. Hark! The drunken tocsin! Fantastic! uncertain, panting in broken tones, stammering and hiccuping. And the earnest tocsin, ringing out fiercely with all its might, peal upon peal till the bell-rope breaks. And then the muffled tocsin, lifeless and dead, its sleepy notes falling as heavily upon the ear as the curfews toll. In the midst of all this tumult of distracted bells and brains, I am impressed by the tranquillity of the Rue Lap and the alleys and passages which radiate from it. 
the neighborhood is a species of Auvergne's ghetto, where the children of Cantal traffic peacefully their old iron, as little concerned with thoughts of an insurrection as though it were located a thousand leagues away. As I pass, I note that all these brave Raymanocs are very busy in their dark shops. The women squat upon the stone step in front of their doorways and knit and jabber in broken French, while their little ones tumble about in the passage, their frizzly locks full of iron dust. End of section 13. Recording by Linda Johnson.